Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at Houston's bar and restaurant scene. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Jason Vaughn and Julia Duran from Nancy's Hustle coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He's a frequent traveler and passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. Matt Harris, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing well, sir. Thanks for being here. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. The city of Houston is feeling a little wounded by the James Beard Foundation. The organization hosts the James Beard Awards, considered to be the Oscars of the culinary world. They came to Houston to announce this year's finalists for the awards that will be presented in Chicago in May. And even though 11 Houston bars and restaurants were among the semifinalist nominees, none of them are finalists. And I think maybe it wouldn't feel quite so personal if they hadn't done it in Houston at Hugo's at a big press conference that was streamed nationally over the internet. Let me, let me start with, I want to, I want to break this down in, in a couple of different ways. Let me, let me start with the most obvious question. Are you mad? Are you mad, bro? Cause I'm a little mad. Um, I don't know that mad is the word necessarily. The question that came to my mind is what's in the bag? <laughs> that well, being said, uh, I, I think it just pointed to a larger issue. Right. There are several structural issues with the way the Beard Foundation selects its finalists, starting with the fact that Texas is part of a five-state southwest region that includes Oklahoma, Colorado, Utah, and New Mexico which means that we are competing with not just Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, and Fort Worth, but also with Phoenix and Scottsdale and Denver and Salt Lake City. And I don't really know what's in Oklahoma City, but it's like it's a, it's a big enough city to have its own sports team. So I'm just going to throw that out there as, as another possibility. Meanwhile, if you look at, say, the Northeast, it's really... Boston, which is much smaller than any of the cities I just listed, and Portland, Maine, which is even smaller. So it seems like it's much easier for a chef in New England to get recognition than a chef in Texas. And on top of that, like New York City is its own region, right? California has to compete with Nevada and Hawaii. So California kind of has that to itself a little bit. I actually asked a representative of the Beard Foundation about this, and he basically acknowledged that the region's too big. Like, the, they, they need more regions to sort of recognize people, and that he wouldn't confirm that Texas is going to become its own region, but that might be a step in the right direction. Well, I, just from a ge- geography perspective, it, it's hard to get to all those cities in a year. So, you know, I don't know exactly how many of the restaurants the voters are visiting. 
Well, and they are, so they are required to visit them or to have eaten that chef's food at a food festival in order to vote for them. So if you're wondering why Austin has three finalists and Houston has zero, or if you're wondering why the city of New Orleans has something like 13 finalists and Atlanta has a bunch of finalists, it's because those are the cities the judges travel to. They're not coming to Houston. Houston doesn't have a food festival like Austin Food and Wine or the Aspen Food Festival or Atlanta or Charleston that draws in media and chefs from other cities. So they're not they're not eating here. Well, no, it, true. Um, the, I think the southeast region, geographically speaking, has some of the same challenges. I mean, it's just a large region. Right. Atlanta had, I think, three finalists and the entire state of Florida had zero. And I'm not totally buying the food festival or, you know, it's the event driven side, because if you look at the history of, of let's just say the Southwest region, you know, Houston's been pretty dominant the last five years. Right. So Houston had Houston won, right. Houston has won three beard best Southwest awards since 2014, having not won any since 1992. So we had a 20 year plus drought and then we went, you know, three for five essentially. And then the last two years we haven't had any finalists. Meanwhile, the beard committee keeps nominating some of the same chefs over and over again, Bryce Gilmore in Austin and Steve McHugh in San Antonio, not to dismiss their accomplishments, but it, it feels to me like either they, they keep getting passed up for a reason or they keep getting nominated because those are the people that the voters are familiar with because they've, been to their restaurants yes and then i to me the crux of the issue is more okay bryce gilmore steve McHugh. they haven't won let's continue to recognize them until they do well right i mean you know in the the baseball hall of fame if you if you don't get a certain percentage of votes you fall off the ballot and you're gone if you get some percentage but not enough to get elected you can stay on the ballot for 10 years before you're, you fall off forever, right? If, if, right. If, if you can't make it happen in 10 years, you're gone. I, I wonder if the Beard Committee needs to consider something like that for its regional chef awards if, you know, if you can't, if you can't make it happen for yourself in five years, like maybe it's just never going to happen. And the immediate rebuttal to that is, that would have screwed over Hugo Ortega, which I am not in favor of. But I, I just, I, I just this this situation where, you know, only three Houston chefs are on the semifinalist list: Ronnie Killen, uh, Tron Wynn from Crawfish and Noodle, and Kaiser Lascari from Himalaya. Meanwhile, Ryan Perry can't get a semifinalist nomination. You know, Cecil uh, Gardner and Terrence Gallivan have been nominated in years past, weren't nominated this year. Anita Jaisinghani from Pondicherry has been on and off the ballot a couple of times, you know, all worthy of recognition. And then I, you know, you have to have been open for three years to be recognized. So I'm looking at a future where Ryan Lachane from Riel, Martin Steyer from Nobis, you know, there's, there's other chefs in Houston. Your upcoming guest. My upcoming guest. Yes. Jason Vaughn might, might be worthy of that recognition. He's still got another 
couple of years to go before he meets that three-year mark. But, you know, we're going to have this backlog, for lack of a better, of worthy people. And meanwhile, you know, it's the same, it's the same three guys from Austin and San Antonio getting nominated year after year. It's frustrating. Right. But it let's let's go back and 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 put the other shoe on the other foot and look at if when the same thing was happening to Hugo Ortega, how do you feel if you're in one of those other cities? So I don't know that it's specific. I don't know that Houston has been slighted necessarily. It's it's an annual award that seems to me to be given for lifetime achievement. Well, or or a, a more of a uh, a larger over a certain number of years. They haven't asked me, but if if James Beard, if you're listening, you probably are. So I am available to be asked. Uh, I, I would suggest something like a kind of like how Houston does their city council. They have their, you know, districts and then they have their at large. So make an at large as an interim award for somebody that's been eight to 10 years and recognize them for that, but not necessarily that they had the, you know, best restaurant for 2019 or 2018. Sure. I mean, that's, that's certainly a possibility. I mean, Look, the national categories, like if you look at the finalists for Outstanding Chef, right, like um, Donald Link in New Orleans is one of them. Michael Solomonoff in Philadelphia is one of them. I, I think, you know, for Chris Shepard as a first-time semifinalist, I think, you know, it's an honor to be recognized, right? And if Chris keeps doing what he's doing and keeps kind of building his reputation and growing his number of restaurants and and various things like he'll get to that he'll get to a point where he becomes he will eventually become a finalist for that award but there is that that notion of kind of having to wait your turn and then you know for the national awards like ninfas for outstanding restaurant or johnny Rhodes for rising star chef it's tough because the voters just aren't coming here and they can't vote for something they haven't tried so as exciting as i think restaurant indigo is and i know you do too it's just like i don't i don't know what we do i don't know what you do to you know because the rising star nominees are inevitably going to be you know new york san francisco la new orleans like cities like that where just the vote that's that's where the voters are eating that's who they're encountering Uh, well maybe but I think if you consider that Houston has, again, won three of the last five years, it's hard to point to that as the single issue, that they're just not coming here, because they are. Well, but, but you know, Hugo and Chris and even Justin Yu, you know, they got on planes, right? Like, they, they took their food to food events in Washington and New York and these various food festivals, and... I mean, I, I, I am sort of amused at the thought of Kaiser Lashkari dishing out, you know, biryani and masala fried chicken, and uh, chicken steak hara tika. masala and steak tikka, 
at Aspen Food and Wine, but like that may be what it takes. And if, you know, and if for an organization like Visit Houston or Houston First to say, we want to be in this conversation enough to lure the Beard Committee to come to Houston and to, to organize a, um, a very elaborate fundraising dinner for the Beard Foundation, then, you know, let's put the resources behind putting Kaiser on a plane and serving his food to people. I mean, that because I think that's what it's going to take. I think that is probably what it's going to take. So, and, and, and that's, that's sort of where I was going was, the, I don't know that you're going to be able to sort of script a system that allows for no changes on, on, with, within Houston, that, uh, that the opportunities are there, that there's going to have to be probably movement from both sides. I mean, let's, let's also consider that they did do their, announcements and a James Beard dinner here in Houston. Those are both, you know, really two positive steps of recognition. Right. No, I, I agree with you and I don't want to understate, like it is a significant honor that they chose to come to Houston. And I do think Houston put a very good foot forward at that dinner at Caracol where all of the city's Beard Award winners, all four Best Chef Southwest winners, Robert Del Grande, Justin Yu, Chris Shepard and Hugo Ortega served food along with Irma Galvan, who was recognized as an America's classic several years ago. So all five of the city's beard winners were there, plus some of the semifinalists, including Seth and Terrence and Kaiser and Bobby Hugo on behalf of Anvil. So that's all to the good. And hopefully those people who flew in for that from New York and other places will go tell their colleagues had a great time in Houston. You got to go to Houston. The hype is true. Like go experience it. And then, and also, right. We have to meet them halfway. We can't just be like, you know, come love us. Like we're, we as a city are just going to have to be more proactive and realize that we're not a destination in the same way that a city like new Orleans or San Francisco is for traveling. So we're going to have to take the fight to them. I think that that's a lot of yes, absolutely. But the um, and I think there's going to be some changes. It, it just food has become chefs are sort of celebrities now. It, it's grown much beyond what was happening in the 1980s. Oh sure. Well, when I, I talked to 1990s. one of the. I talked to one of the members of the Beard Foundation. He said, look, I used to know nationally what was going on. And now I can't keep up because there's so much happening all over. There's so much more happening all over the country. And even I, from my perspective in Houston, don't feel like I necessarily have a grasp on everything that's happening just in Texas. Sure. Right? So, yeah, I think recognizing more things are happening in more places than ever before adding to the number of regions, spreading the love out a little bit, you know, will speed that churn along and also like get into the modern reality, you know, a post top chef world where the whole country is food obsessed and great food can be made anywhere. 
no, I think so. I, and again, you know, it's I'm just perusing the list here of semifinalists, and mm. I would with within the last eighteen months, I've eaten at about half of these places, and I will say unequivocally that Himalaya is better than any of those places, day in day out. Right. I mean, it and just as a like, you don't need a reservation, you don't need a ton of money. It's open for lunch and dinner. It's open six days a week. Like, not only is it excellent, it is accessible. And, you know, I, I hear from people all the time, like, I don't have $100 to spend on dinner. It's like, I get it. You can go to Himalaya for 25 bucks. Correct. Right? If you're, if, you're a, if you're a four top, you'll spend $100 total. And by the way, it's BYOB, so you don't even have to factor in the cost of the alcohol and have, like, one of the best meals in Houston on any given night. Yes. Agreed. And I think... The fact that Kaiser and the crawfish and noodles were both recognized, those are steps in, in the right direction. And the, the types of places that I think need more recognition, you know, and Ronnie Killen is, uh, you know, he just, he does things really well. I've had some of the best steaks of my life at Killen Steakhouse and I eat a lot of steak. Right. And, and but I guess my, like, I want, I want crawfish and noodles and, and Himalaya recognized. I also want like I I also want like our our white guy chefs that are doing like cool, you know, contemporary Texas southern food recognized too, right? I I I I want I want as many people as possible from Houston recognized. I want Anita recognized. You know, I want I want Michelle Williams at Gatlin's Barbecue recognized because sure. the cool stuff that she's doing I want Don Burrell at Culture Recognized. I, you know, I just, there's a lot of really cool stuff happening here. And so, you know, I, I want just more. I want, I want more. We just got to keep banging the drum, daddy. Yeah. Like, uh, as I, as I said in my article, you know, Bum Phillips, paraphrasing Bum Phillips, if we, if we keep pounding the door, eventually we'll kick the son of a bitch in. Bingo. All right. <laughs> Topic number two. We uh, gave out some awards last. So so at least some Houston chefs won something last week. They won Culture Map Tastemaker Awards in a whole bunch of different categories. Um, I have I have like a, a a sort of flawed perspective on the event because I, I'm like deeply enmeshed in it. Like this is very personal for me. So as a more objective observer, how do you think we did in terms of who won and what was your experience like at the event? Well, I'm not just saying this because I want you to keep having me back on the show. Uh, I thought it was very well done. Uh, I thought it was the best one that I've been to uh, across the board, the, from check-in to the food, not a drinker, but they had Topo Chico. Thank you, Topo Chico. Uh, it, it was, it was really enjoyable. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. So I, I was pleased with the winners. Our panelists selected, including Nancy Sussel as restaurant of the year, chef of the year for Horisan at Katarabata. I, I mean, I, I wrote this and I'll, I'll just relay this very briefly. I went to Katarabata on new year's night and I saw like half a dozen chefs and restaurateur types there. That is the restaurant that people 
in the restaurant business go to on their night off. And so since the Tastemaker Awards are primarily selected by people in the restaurant business, that felt right to me. And that we've done this, that it took six years to get Hori Sun Chef of the Year. I mean, look, it's just the reality of the situation. But that felt right. Absolutely. I mean, they're, you know, it's, it's, Cata Rabada is, is one of the beacons of the Houston dining scene. Absolutely. Uh, Rising Star Chef to Ian Levy at Better Luck Tomorrow. Wine program to Cultivare. Those felt about right to me. Ruben Ortega, Pastry Chef of the Year. I mean, you know, if there were a Houston pastry Mount Rushmore, he would be on it. Yes. Susan Malzan, whoever invented the Bananas Foster at Brennan's. And... Anita. Yeah. Sure. Pastry Chef at Cafe Annie's, not too shabby. No. <laughs> so, something like that. Um... St. Arnold Brewery of the Year. I mean, they had a great year with their new facility. Uh, Justin Turner from Bernie's. Yeah, for Favorite Burger. Anvil yep. for Bar of the Year. Yep. Yeah, all felt about all felt about right to me. They were all on the balance beam. Yeah. Um, all right. And then uh, we're running long, but that that's never stopped me before. Topic number three: Berg Hospitality has review has revealed its plans for Carmelo's the restaurant that Ben Berg purchased uh, about a year and a half ago in the extended memorial area. I'm, I'm not sure what you call memorial drive between Derry Ashford and Eldridge. Is that the energy corridor or is that still like greater memorial? Uh, I think, I think in some ways memorial kind of stops at the toll road, but I also, that's like a, that's a really old part of memorial and in, in that section of memorial drive. Um, if it's west of the Beltway, I'm not sure that that would be considered memorial. Right. So I would call, I think energy corridor is fair. All right. Uh, fair enough. I don't want a bunch of at me's from these neighborhood pedantics. Neighborhood, neighborhood, neighborhood pedants. Yeah. Uh, but it's been around for, the restaurant's been around for 40 years. It, uh, it has done well by its neighborhood. Uh, it will not be called Carmelo's anymore. It will be called BB Italia. It will feature a new menu from Ben's brother, Chef Daniel Berg, who worked in New York for a long time. Uh, we don't know the details of what will and won't be on the menu, except that the Carmelo's meatballs will stay. That was like a signature thing. Ben, it'll have a totally new look, yep. a new bar, a new yep. patio for the first time, a to-go pizza concept called BB Pizza. Um, mm, I think this pizza. is all This is all to the good, right? That That... Carmelo's without Carmelo probably didn't make sense. And leveraging the B&B Butcher's branding, the BB Lemon branding to kind of tell the neighborhood, this is not the same restaurant that you knew, but it's still Italian. And by the way, it's affiliated with these two great restaurants inside the loop. That all makes sense to me. No, I think so. Uh, and I would actually have a longstanding um, uh, date with my uh, aunt and uncle. To uh, go to BB Italia, Italia. So I'm looking forward to uh, sh- should uh, be able to report back here. Yeah, it's gonna soon. it's gonna open sometime in April, and I am looking forward to my first meal there as well. And then since we're staying on the west side, topic number four: 
Kirby Ice House, Torchy's Tacos, and Mia's Table are going to be part of Metro National's plans for an expansion of the Memorial City Complex that will be on the north side of I-10 where uh, Liebman's already is, kind of adjacent to Liebman's. I don't know that there's a ton to say about this. It's not opening until spring and fall of 2020. Uh, the north side of I-10 is widely considered to be Spring Branch. So you have to say Memorial City in Spring Branch. If you're, the, again, the neighborhood, the neighborhood partisans were in full effect last week on Culture Map. Uh, some people very mad about the, the idea of anything north of I-10 being called uh, Memorial instead of Spring Branch, even though it is the developer of Memorial City Mall and it is an extension of their complex. Uh, you know, if I were calling Wirt Road and Long Point Memorial, you know, string me up. You know, it would be that we, would be that would be as wrong as calling it Missouri City, which is what someone else did last week. But that's neither here nor there. Or seafood charcuterie. <laughs> We're going to talk about, you know, that seems like a good point to wrap this up. Seafood charcuterie coming up in our restaurants of the week segment right after this. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So. Matt, since you brought it up, for our restaurant of the week, I would like to talk about 1751 C&Bar, the new seafood restaurant that replaces Starfish. Uh, this is Sam Brooks Hospitality's first real new concept for the restaurants they purchased from Cherry Pie Hospitality. Uh, before we get into the details, I should note that you have a bit of a tie to this in that you helped build the remodeled restaurant. This is true. You did a good job. I think it looks great. The kind of bright, like light blues that had been sort of dominated the space have been replaced with black. It feels more elegant, more grown up, a little more upscale. Uh, and I think you kind of want that in a seafood restaurant. The, the fish tank is gone. The silly rock and roll Marlin is gone. The, Two small private dining room gone, and instead this dramatic-looking black and brass back bar with a hundred plus bottles of gin on it just kind of becomes the visual focal point of the room. Um, so good job by you. Thank you. It's very kind. It was it was a team effort. Um, so I was not alone in this, um, but uh, I, I do agree that it's beautiful. So. So we had a pretty good meal. Um, Chef Lyle Bento is the culinary director for Sam Brooks and J.D. Woodward is the executive chef. Lyle and J.D. or Nuge, as he is known by some, work together at a variety of restaurants, including Underbelly and Southern Goods. Uh, so this is, a, this is a good pairing. These two guys have worked well together in the past, and they are working well together here, starting with the seafood charcuterie plate, which... Yes, charcuterie typically refers to meat, like from land animals. But in this case, when it's tuna pastrami, gravlax, smoked oysters, uh, scallop conserva, scallop conserva, and pickled mussels, um, when it's fish that has been treated in ways similar to the ways in which meat is treated for charcuterie, guess what? Seafood charcuterie, and it's all extremely delicious. Uh, it is yes. I, I think extremely delicious is is a fair 
tough but fair uh, <laughs> well, opinion. And they have they have iced seafood towers, and a lot of places have iced seafood towers. And I love an iced seafood tower, but the seafood charcuterie board is a little more innovative. Um, I can't think of another Houston restaurant that's serving a similar preparation. So just for that, I think it kind of stands out. And then the menu is sort of divided into shareable small plates and then kind of larger center plate options. And you can kind of choose your own adventure. If, if you're with a group of people who like sharing things, then, you know, go crazy with the small plates. If you're not, if you prefer like appetizer, appetizer entree dessert, then, you know, then focus on, on that side of the menu. Um, did you have a favorite small plate? Uh, I, the scallop conserva is, is available on its own, um, and that has been my favorite. Uh, it, it's also on the seafood charcuterie, um, which as long as you don't have to say that three times fast, I think you're okay. But the scallop conserva really is kind of a, what stood out for me. Just, just a really smart, flavorful, textural, balanced dish. Yeah, I liked the, oh, the crawfish souffle. Absolutely. Right. I, um, creamy, a little bit cheesy with the, the kind of the bread on top. I mean, it, it's a good, you know, we're so used to just eating like really spicy crawfish all the time. This was a, a kind of a more refreshing, like a little, like a, an, an alternative take on crawfish. It was, it was delicious. Um as were most of, of what we ate. You know, we had the opportunity to sort of preview this, I want to say kind of back in, in November and uh, got some excitement, you know, even back then and, and now at this point. Um, it's, a, it's a much more refined version of itself based on it is, it what is. we experienced in November, December. Yeah, it, it's, it's a large menu, but I think it's really well put together. Uh, it's thoughtful. It's interesting. And it, it, as you alluded to, you could go in, you know, have a small plate or two or a shareable, have a nice cocktail, uh, or you could, you know, have that delicious ribeye. Yeah, the Nyman Ranch ribeye, uh, just a big, fatty, flavorful piece of beef um, with that potato pave, like a, a really classic kind of French style potato preparation. That was wonderful. The marinated cucumbers, uh, vaguely reminiscent of the the cucumber dish at Lay Noodle. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, uni spaghetti felt like a little bit of a work in progress. I, I I've enjoyed that dish at a few restaurants of, around town. I thought it it just needed a little bit of seasoning, maybe a little more something to kind of kick it up just a, a notch. But uh, but you know we had a we just we had a simple grilled piece of snapper with just a little butter and a spritz of lemon. And it's just a nice reminder of like the elegant simplicity of a well-cooked piece of fish. Get out of my head. I was waiting to interject. Uh, that, that was really delicious. Uh, that, that was the other takeaway for, from that meal. And I just really uh, enjoyed that right. tremendously. And then the only other thing I just want to hit on briefly is, uh, David Manress is their uh, beverage director. You know, Starfish had a kind of gin-based cocktail program, I think, 
David has simplified some of the options. It's not quite so overwhelming. Uh, and of course, he worked for Lori Harvey for a number of years. So, so she's, he's sort of her protege in a sense. He has a deep understanding of this whole spirit category, by which I mean the 100 plus bottles of gin. And I think he's creating cocktails that are really flavorful, complement the food well. It is an appealing part of, of going to 1751. Like I, I would be perfectly content to go with one other person, seafood charcuterie board, cocktail or two, good. Cohesive is the word that came to mind. Yes, absolutely. All right, one, one request, though. We would be remiss if, if we didn't mention it. What is your request? All eyes on me. Two-pack, wings, news, please. Maybe on the bar menu or maybe at, yeah. I, I'm not sure they're a fit on the menu, but anything's possible. All right, Matt, thank you. Uh, yes, you're welcome. All right, I'll be right back with uh, Jason and Julia. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined this week by Jason Vaughn and Julia Doran from Nancy's Hustle. Let me introduce you guys separately so people can hear your voices. Julia, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. Jason, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Guys, I always like to, I usually like to start at the beginning, but can I just congratulate you on Nancy's Hustle being named the Restaurant of the Year in the Culture Map Tastemaker Awards? Oh, thank you. Thanks. So everyone wants to know, who is Nancy that accepted the award on your behalf? Oh, I knew that was going to be the first question. <laughs> oh, well, um, I mean, that was uh, our, our friend Dane, who works at the restaurant um, and claims to be my wife. <laughs> yeah. Nancy. <laughs> uh, she, she made quite a, I, she accepted your award for Rising Star Chef of the Year last year. And made quite an impression on the crowd. <laughs> and of course, we, we couldn't be there personally, so we wanted to make sure that the you know everyone had a good time. Right. You had you had work to do. You had a restaurant to run. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was there this year. Did you have a good time? I had a great time. Great. And a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> a lot of our uh, crew turned out for it as yeah. well. So we had a whole posse. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Every time. You were nominated in several categories every time one of some reference, whether it was Wine Program of the Year or, Julia, your nomination for Pastry Chef of the Year, there was, like, big cheers. So that's always a good sign. Yeah. We had a good turnout. Um, so, yeah. So you guys, have, you guys have had, like, you've been open for almost a year and a half. Mm -hmm. It's been quite a whirlwind. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been fun, you know, we we're just trying to open a little restaurant in a neighborhood we could, uh, that we liked and we could afford to be in and just doing our thing over there, you know? Yeah. So Jason, I know you, you grew up in Houston, right? But you kind of got your professional experience mostly in Chicago. Yeah. I spent most of, most of my time in Chicago, a couple of years in San Francisco, um, right when I turned 18 and then about six, seven years in Chicago. So what were just a couple of the places you worked at while you were there? Ooh, um, 
Well, I moved up there to work at L2O, which was, you know, fancy. Yeah, Michelin starred seafood restaurant. restaurant. Yeah. yeah um, but where I really had the most fun and did the most work was um, with Hog Salt Hospitality, um, which is owned by Brennan Sotokoff. And we opened uh, quite a few restaurants together. Guilt Bar um, was the first one. And then uh, Mod's Liquor Bar. And then Oshaval. We yep. opened the Donut Vault. Yeah, Oshaval may be one of the most famous. Serves one of the most famous cheeseburgers in America, maybe. Yeah, that wasn't its uh, intended original purpose, but that that kind of happened, and we went with it. And you know, it was a great little restaurant, just tons of fun, little forty-five seater uh, in that neighborhood before it was very busy over there, um, and now it's crazy over there. But yeah, that was like our third or fourth spot, and we went on to open about seven. Uh, eight to you know while I was there, and then uh, I think he has about twenty now. So. <laughs> he didn't stop. Uh, and then Julia, how about you? I met you first when you were working at Hunky Dory and Bernadine's. Yeah. But how did you get into the food business? I kind of fell into it. Um, I moved. I went to school in Chicago, and I moved to New York when I was twenty-two, and was a young hungry artist at 22 living in New York. So I started, uh, my background was in sculpture. So I started working in wedding cakes and then fell into the restaurant scene, fell in love with it and worked in a couple of restaurants in New York before leaving. How did you come to Houston? My husband got a <laughs> good job here and I was like, sure, why not? Houston. We were living in Alabama for a year before this. So anywhere after Alabama was up. So <laughs> um, and then Jason what 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 made it seem like the right time to come back to Houston from Chicago um I mean we had a couple terrible winters up there for one <laughs> yeah. uh two the scene up there began to be dominated by large restaurant groups and it was I started to look for spaces up there but it was kind of hard to find a place that you could afford um because these restaurant groups were just gobbling up all of the good spaces. So you had to go further and further out. Not to say that we couldn't have done a restaurant up there, but I had been away from Houston for over a decade, about yeah, 12 years at that, at that point. So I was kind of ready to come home, um, as well as I would never want to open a restaurant with anyone other than Sean Jensen. So that was a big, he was here. That was a really big part of it for me to have a good solid partner in the front of the house and operations wise. Yeah. I mean, I think Sean Jensen has worked for like most of the major players in town at this point. I, I know he started at shade in the Heights. I think when I met him, he was running Hay Merchant uh, mm -hmm. with Kevin Floyd and Chris Shepard. And then he opened public services with Justin Yu and uh, Justin Van. So he had, you know, a, a lot of good experience and a lot of great relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that really helped in the beginning for you guys. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we, we had, um, you know, we had been friends for 15 or plus years, you know, so I really trusted him on that side and then his experience as well. So, yeah, and just him knowing, everyone knowing his name and his face definitely helped get, get things going there. And then Julia, how did you get involved? Because I, I think you, oh, wow. you like you you kind of rode, you kind of went down with Man, with looked, everything that happened out with Hunky <laughs> yeah. Dory and Bernadine's, and, and kind of came out the other side. I stayed till the end. Um, 
I had taken a couple months off deliberately from restaurant work after Bernadine's closed. Um, and then like three people told me I have to talk to Jason. Um, <laughs> my coincidentally, one of my very good friends in Chicago was the bar manager at the last place Jason worked at in Chicago. And he kept on telling me I should hang out with him and I was ignoring him. And then finally enough people. And I, I guess I cold texted you and that was it. Something like that. Yeah. You, you were so that was, I mean, you probably, someone else had probably already told you, like, I think we were actively both ignoring each other <laughs> because the same person from Chicago told me the same thing that I should meet up with her and, uh, you know, we should talk. And then we both just like didn't do it. And then, then when I had a need, I, c- I can't remember who reached out to who first, but yeah, once we, once we hooked up, it, it was, was uh, <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you sort of start planning Nancy Sussel. You know, you're not. Do you call that Edo or East End? Because oh. I feel like you're east of emancipation. Yeah, I mean, we, we, like from day to day, we just call it Edo because that's kind of what everybody refers to it as, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I get, I, there's, people have very firm ideas. I don't know <laughs> if you've noticed commenters on the internet have very firm ideas about. <laughs> Where neighborhoods start and stop, and sometimes it, <laughs> yeah, it it leads to like the world's worst, the world's most pointless arguments. Definitely don't pay attention to that. Good, nor <laughs> nor should you. Um, but certainly an area that that maybe wasn't known for kind of ambitious chefy restaurants, mm-hmm. um, but you saw opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. People like to talk about location, location a lot, and I mean, I don't. Location matters, yes, but it also doesn't really matter. People will travel for something that's that they love, you know. So we figured we just do what we do. It didn't really matter where it was at. If it was going to be successful, it'd be successful, you know. Um, so we also really liked the neighborhood. We were hanging out over there a ton, riding our bikes a ton in that neighborhood. I was looking for a place to live over there. Um, and we just really enjoyed it. It was kind of a chill area to be. It wasn't overdone already, you know. Um, yeah, so. So so how do you describe kind of the food that you're serving? Oh, man, another hard one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's more about like what we did not want to be. Um, I, I mean, I start, so start with that, like as you're sort of conceiving of it. Yeah, so there's nothing wrong. I mean, we love all kinds of foods, but the main thing we didn't want to be was Southern because we felt that that was everywhere. You, you could go anywhere in town and get that. Um, so we, we didn't want to be that. We didn't want to be pretentious. We didn't want to be too high end. We wanted to be a pro- just approachable restaurant and just thinking about opening a space that we're going to be in for the next 10 years. I didn't want to be limited to one cuisine or one style. Right, so it's not Italian, it's not French, mm-hmm. it's exactly. not, it's a little bit of all of those things. Yeah, so we just kind of use our experience and background, and what I want to cook today, it might be different in two weeks, or I might pick up a book that I love, or see an article, get inspired, travel, eat something, I want to make it, I didn't want to be limited to just Italian, or just French, so we kind of do, you know, honestly, we just want to do wh- whatever we want, 
also as well as like, you know, appeal to people and try to make food that's at least comfortable to them in some way they can relate to in some way. Right. And Julia, I think that kind of goes for the breads and pastries too, because mm -hmm. you have like a Japanese style cheesecake mm -hmm. and you've done churros and you've done, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I'm all over the place, but I try and hearken back to what people are looking for in a dessert. I think people want to have like a nostalgic association with dessert more than any other kind of part of the meal. Um, so it needs to like work, like you need to be able to recall that kind of like tasty ice cream or tasty souffle or taste. I mean, there's you, like, you need to have that uh, ratatouille moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like you need to have that kind of sense of familiarity with dessert, but I also, you know, am interested in challenging people a little bit at a time. Um, and keeping it interesting for myself and yeah. Cause you, you haven't diner. been afraid of like savory ice creams. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I but, think dessert is maybe where we challenge people the most. Um, when you read the description or when you're told about what it is, but ultimately when you eat it, I think you can connect to it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of, it was the profiteroles, right? With, was it Labna or? Yeah, yeah, I had a Labna ice cream and right now I have a chocolate tort on the menu with a Miette ice cream, which is a goat and sheep's milk cheese. That's in the ice cream. So it's pretty funky and interesting and challenging, but I mean, I think I think people are ready for it, and I think, I mean, that chocolate tort was one of has been one of my best selling desserts. So, well, and it's a challenging <laughs> dessert at times. So, yeah, I think I think people are kind of surprised by like how much they like that Parmesan cheesecake too. Yeah, yeah, and you know we get we get plenty of people who aren't into it, and we we warn them, but that's okay. <laughs> we we love it so much that you know we just take that, and and for us we. I don't think anyone there really loves super sweet desserts and yeah. we don't want this abrasive separation from the rest of the meal. You get to dessert and it's just a complete 180, you know, sugar bomb. You can just kind of like flow right into it um, from, from your savory stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're, you challenge people with ingredients kind of throughout the menu. I mean, like, did you ever expect to sell so much trout roe? No, not at all. Um, <laughs> and my, you know, one of my um, my old boss and mentor um, at one point told me that that's the one dish I should take off the menu when I showed, <laughs> when I showed it to him. Uh, yeah, def awesome. definitely not on that front. And there's a lot of things. I mean, the rabbit terrine, when we had that on, I, I couldn't believe that we were flying through rabbit liver terrine and the rabbit legs and... I mean, there's all kinds of stuff we put on there right now. The the um, uh, Buddha Noir, uh, you know, the blood sausage terrine. I, I didn't know there was Buddha Noir. I I yeah. relatively recently. I don't remember that being an option. <laughs> when it's with the hash brown and mayo. Yeah, sauerkraut mayo, Buddha Noir, and nice. uh, crispy hash browns. So I didn't think people would order that too much, and then you know we ended up having to make a lot more than we anticipated. I mean, do you do you find yourself now being like? There's there's dishes that you maybe had in your head that a year ago you wouldn't have put on the menu and now you kind of want to run them out there and see what happens. Uh, yeah, I think uh, you know even six months ago we kind of started pushing a little bit um, into some of those things and feeling a little like we we had a little more room to do whatever we wanted. Uh, we definitely played it. Uh, I don't want to say like 
too safe, but we, we played it safe in the beginning. I just want a restaurant where everyone feels comfortable. So um, I, I definitely think we've changed some things in the last couple of months. And yeah, I feel like we can, we can do a lot more than we would have done day one, or I feel more comfortable doing. I think um, it's also about like earning people's trust. For and sure. now that we have established that trust with many guests at this point, then people keep on coming back and they're like, you know, maybe I will try something I wouldn't have tried before. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is, part of hospitality is all of it from when you look at the menu online, like do you feel good about going there? Do you feel like you're gonna be, feel awkward when you sit down because you don't know half of the ingredients? Um, all of it, like we, we honestly, we downplay a lot of stuff on the menu. We try mm -hmm. to undersell and over deliver because we want, everyone to be comfortable when they sit down or at least be able to find a couple things that they can relate to have a safe place if some of the things are too weird for them um, but then we also want the people who are like the foodies who want something different and you know and maybe travel more see more stuff or more comfortable with uh, what some people might consider weird we want them to have some things to be interested in as well right, right. they're ordering you know lamb dumplings and yeah snapper collar and Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I'm not saying we're trying to have something on the menu for everybody. You can never please everybody out there, but I mean that um, burger comes pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, there are those things, and I do think as we move forward, like we're not going to completely change it, but we're going to keep. We we want to stay relevant. We also want to stay comfortable neighborhood restaurant for people, you know. And I, there's one element when you go to open that you can never predict and that's like your guests and how they're going to interact with the restaurant. We can plan everything we want and say how we want it to be and the vibe and the style. But when the guest comes in and starts ordering food, they're going to kind of finish the puzzle for us and tell us a little bit about what the restaurant's supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, so, so what, so what is the feedback from your guests in terms of like, or maybe, is it different than what you expected or, or have people? Um, it's what I was hoping for, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's been good. And I, I think I was actually, I thought we would have a lot more pushback on the, say the size of our food. It's not, we don't have a lot of huge dishes on the menu, but we want people to kind of order more things. So, um, I mean, I'm pleasantly surprised at how people have taken to it. I, I thought it would take a lot longer to get where we're at. I was confident that we would, obviously I wouldn't have done it if I wasn't confident that it would work. Um, but I did think it would take a year or two before we were as busy as we were three months in. Yeah. My, um, I, I'm going to go two different directions. The first is to say that my mother had her first meal at your restaurant oh, last yeah, week. Oh yeah, I met her. Yeah. She was actively mad at me for not having taken her there already. It's like, why didn't you? It's like, mom, I've been writing about it since before it opened. It's like, sometimes you have to, you know, sometimes you have to meet me halfway on this. Um, you've also, I mean, you've, you've been a hit with Houstonians. You've also gotten a lot of national attention. Yeah, which is also a pleasant surprise. I mean, we don't. We don't really put ourselves out there either. I mean, they've just come to us. Like, we don't have a PR firm. We don't, I mean, we have a wonderful person that works there that does the Instagram and does an amazing job at it. Um, but other than that, that's that's about all we do. So that, that was a very nice surprise. And other chefs in town who are well-connected are very supportive and I think have sent people our way. And 
I mean, I, I guess just word of mouth, they just come around. Yeah, it happened really fast. I mean, I, I, I feel like every time I go there, I see someone who works in the restaurant industry eating at the restaurant. Yeah. 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 We get a lot of industry people in, which is, it's nice to have their support for sure. We're yeah. also open and serve food pretty late. So yeah, you're open till midnight, in. six yeah. days a week, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you'll like, I mean, you'll get that late pop. You'll get like restaurants will close at 10 o'clock and then you'll get a crowd at 11, right? Yeah. I mean, we've had some Sundays where we've, you know, been cranking until midnight. It's very uh, impressive and fun. And, you know, to be in a restaurant over there is like crowded at 11 p.m. on a Sunday is great. And, and I, we should say, I mean, well, I'm going to, I'm going to say, and then you can, you can agree or disagree with me, I guess. (laughs) It feels great in there. I mean, there's just something about that. I don't know who you got to build the stereo for you, but it, it's, it always, the music is always like the right level to where like you can hear it and register like, oh yeah, they're playing like old school Tom Petty or, but it never drowns out your conversation mm-hmm. and your front of house staff, like, I mean, that's a credit to Sean and everyone else, but I mean, your, your front of house staff is incredible. They're great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, the, Nancy's hustle wouldn't be anything without the team that we have there. And that's something else that was pleasantly surprising to just find so many amazing people right off of the bat. You know, again, that's something that I thought would take a long time, but they just kept showing up and still today (laughs) they keep showing up and I don't know where they're coming from, but they're unbelievable. Um, the, the attitude and the teamwork and just how everybody works together and pushes the standard all the time there. It's just, uh, I sit back in awe all the time, uh, during service, watching the cooks, watching the front of the house, everyone just click, you know, it's an amazing team there for sure. I mean, you're, you're solidly into your second year now. I mean, what are your, what are your kind of goals? Like, where would you like to see this evolve? Ooh, big question. One thing I really have loved working with Sean and Jason is that they never stop trying to make things better. And opening a restaurant, there's a list of about a million things that need to get done. And then you slowly chip away at it. But they're constantly asking themselves and challenging themselves on how to get better. And I think, yeah, I mean, we keep making Nancy's tweak it here and there and make it a little bit better every day. Yeah, I mean, there's there's... There's little things all over the place that can be better from design stuff, lighting, et cetera, um, equipment in the kitchen, just making things better, working with more local people, getting better products in there all the time. I mean, it's kind of a never ending thing um, to reassess, reevaluate from are, are just are we being as hospitable as we can be always you know are we providing the best product we can for the volume of uh people that we're doing and the staff that we can fit in the building yeah i like the lighting is such a conundrum for me because the room <laughs> the room looks great like when you're sitting in it and it feels good yeah. it is impossible to get a decent picture of your food yeah sean and jason are obsessed (laughs) with lighting if you only knew how much one of them touches the light switch during service yeah it's a it's a constant battle but (laughs) i mean that's that's something that um you know i i think i really learned that in chicago working with brendan really that um i went from working a michelin star restaurant where 
you it's all about the food as a young cook you think that restaurants are all about the food and then i realized that food's such a small part of it it's yeah. lighting it's music it's you know the chair that you're it's all these parts but they don't have to be fancy they just have to be no they comfortable. can be they can be made the tables can be made from bowling alley lanes and they look good <laughs> and, it, and it works out just fine yeah if you turn the lights down low enough everything looks good <laughs> Um, yeah, and just having that, that glow where people feel good in the room and the yeah. music's right. And we did, you know, we put a lot, of, we sacrificed a good looking ceiling for sound paneling that makes the sound better. But I don't want you looking at the ceiling during your meal. You should be engaged with the person you're dining with um, and be able to talk to them. So it's totally worth it um, for us. You know. Yeah, I mean, you, well, and you, you've tweaked the space a little. You added those banquettes in yeah. the, mm-hmm. the back half of the dining room. I mean, so it, it feels like it's still. Just like a little bit of a work in progress. Yeah, I mean, we definitely opened on like we we didn't we didn't have huge investors. We opened on what I would call a shoestring for that that restaurant, you know. And um, we wanted some flexibility as well. We didn't want to commit like in the beginning and put banquettes in and then it not be the right thing. So we just put in tables. But it definitely wasn't exactly what we wanted. But we figured we'd just change it after a while if if the restaurant worked, you know. So yeah, we, we continue to do things that we w- wish we could have done in the beginning, but either financially or just lack of like wanting to commit to it, you know, um, we didn't do. Yeah, because you must be like everybody's like birthday... You, you must get like a lot. I feel like you get a lot of dates. <laughs> uh, that, that is, I mean, I think that's happening more and more. And something that I also think is a big part of the success over there is that people can approach it in so many different ways. Yeah. So you can come for a special occasion. People do all the time. You can also come, you know, for a glass of wine and a burger when you get off of work. And that's, I mean, that's really what we wanted. That's what I feel like is a great restaurant, is a, a place you can, has multi multiple uses, you know. Uh, Julie, how about you? I mean, where do you, what do you want to achieve like at the restaurant in the next six months to a year? I love doing what I do every day. I mean, I get to go in and make breads and desserts every day. So I just keep on pushing myself to make more things and better things and help Nancy's run as smoothly as possible. I mean, she contributes on so many other levels levels besides just the food. I mean, every day she's a part of making the restaurant just better and better in all all aspects, you know. She made sure we got health insurance for the team early on, you know. Um many many other just all kinds of things, yeah. you know, so Hopefully we just keep I'm making just awesome bread. Over here. Yeah. I just want us to I just want us to like do better and better. Well well you're the reason that, that you guys are here because I, I approached Sean and he was <laughs> yeah. skeptical about and then he came back to me and he's like, No, Julie actually really wants to do it. I'm like, Well, let's make it happen. I thought it would be good for us. So ha- has it been good for you? So far, I think we're we're killing it. So. Yeah. <laughs> um so so it feels sort of premature to ask you what's next, but you must be getting hit up with from real estate developers and all kinds of people. I mean, do you have you started to think about a second restaurant? I know it wouldn't be another Nancy's Hustle. <laughs> I feel like this is a trap. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I we're constantly throwing out ideas. Like, like I said, in Chicago, I opened you know seven restaurants. Um, with Hogsall and the creative process is so much fun, you know, um, 
thinking about the food you want to do and the space. And I mean, opening a restaurant in the first year is really the, for me, it's the most fun. And once things are just humming along and it's running like a machine, it kind of starts to get a little bit boring. Obviously we're trying not to do that at Nancy's. We're pushing ourselves constantly to keep that from happening. Um, but I would love to be a part of that, that process over and over again. So, um, but we, we, I mean, it would have to be something close. <laughs> I don't like to drive too much. Um, you know, uh, yeah, there's there's plenty of things we would love to do. Uh, Nancy's is pretty small for us as well um, as far as, like, we can't really fit any more equipment in there. The walk-in's already stuffed, you know. Like, we, we didn't think we would be doing this volume, so there's not really a lot of room for us to grow there. So when the right opportunity presents itself, we would, you know, we would love to do something else. But we also have to make sure we build the team properly. But I... Again, another pleasant surprise I thought would take two to three years, and we just have an amazing team there that I feel confident can run it without without us there. Awesome. So but no rush. No, no. <laughs> no, I'm not. Like, sometimes I ask these questions, and I, like, I may know more than I'm saying. Like, this is not one of those times. I don't yeah. have any. I have not heard behind the scenes that I've, you guys are, like, yeah, about to sign a lease somewhere. I've just watched too many um, groups get big, and I mean, I was a part of one that got really, really big in Chicago and stretched so far that it felt wrong, you know. And and a lot of them will get through that, and some of them don't get through that. And but a reason that I left, I mean, I had a great job there, culinary director for multiple restaurants, and I left because I couldn't. It just didn't feel right. I'd walk into a kitchen. I hadn't been there in two weeks. There's a lot of restaurants. We were also doing consulting overseas and in um, in London, and it, I wouldn't know people that work there, and I couldn't connect with the cooks. I like to get in there and work next to them, and you know, sometimes scrub with them, not always, uh, <laughs> but you know, um, I like to be in it with them. And that's the, the fun part is working with the team and having this, like this crew there that is all achieving a goal and you have too many places going on. You just kind of lose that soul in it. You, uh, you ever think you'll get back to fine dining? Uh, I kind of never say never, you know, like I'm, there's always something, um, there's always something to love and appreciate about all different kinds of cuisines and styles. And I can get excited of just about anything. That's true. We might do a hot dog cart first. Yeah. Sweet tater. Chicago <laughs> style pizza. <laughs> oh yeah. Maybe not. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just had to figure out where the parameters were. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, um, that brings me to the, the end of my questions. I always like to, uh, wrap these interviews up with something I call the lightning round. Uh Oh, Five easy questions, five short answers. I should have prepared for this. <laughs> All right, Julie, I'm going to start with you. All right. What's your favorite <laughs> cookbook? Oh, God. <laughs> um, I really love salt, fat, acid, heat right now. Jason, how about you? Oh, I probably should have thought about that while you were doing it. Um, th- I think that's easy. The Alpine de Cochon cookbook. I've been in love with that for years. Jason, what's the uh, what's the first band you ever saw in concert? <laughs> uh, the Toadies and Corpus Christi. <laughs> That's a solid Texas band. All right, Julia, how about you? I mean, I was my dad's first roadie, so I should say him. 
Julie, what's your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. It's not oh. guilty and it's Frenchie's chicken. Oh my God, can I? Solid, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> we were just talking about Frenchie's earlier. Can I not say the same thing? You can say It's the on same. my way home yeah. from work. It's Dumb. like, yeah. Easy. <laughs> uh, Jason, who's your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Oh, oh my God, I don't. I don't, yeah. Everyone out there is going to hate me for this. I don't. I don't really have one. No, we get that. We get past, that. Some. I guess. Uh, Julia, do you have a a Houston sports figure? This this show airs on a sports talk station. That's why I like that. <laughs> my brother's a big basketball fan. I would say Olajuwon. <laughs> it's, it's a perfectly respectable answer. All right, and then finally, what is your go-to pizza order? Pepperoni, uh, jalapeno pepperoni, solid. All right, give us the <laughs> give us the website and the Instagram handle for Nancy's hustle. Oh, I don't even know it. <laughs> I mean, the website's just uh, Nancy's can you just hustle. Google Nancy's hustle. Yeah. <laughs> I can. You can Google yeah. Nancy's hustle. Uh, I can tell you it yeah. is Instagram. Eric. I Thanks believe it's just. <laughs> I can tell you it is. Oh, it's just Nancy's hustle on yeah. Instagram. Yeah. yeah, couldn't be easier. Yeah. 8,000 followers and counting. Nailed it. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. You can follow me on Twitter at E. Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.